1: And social transformation. I'm very excited about today's show. Today I'll be speaking with Guy Finley. Guy is a spiritual teacher and a prolific author as well, and one of the brightest spiritual lights in our world today. I've known Guy for many years, and he's the real deal. He's just come out with a new book that he'll be talking about toward the end of the interview. And uh, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my delightful and powerful conversation with Guy Finley. Welcome, friends. Dr. David here, and I'm here with my friend and my colleague in the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the uh, the transformational world, Guy Finley, and uh, I'm very excited to share Guy with you today. I've known Guy for a long, long time, uh, both through his writings and audios and uh through some personal conversations over the years and as you know if you've been listening to me for a while or you know me for a while i think one of my gifts is the gift of discernment especially when it comes to things in having to do with spirituality and having to do with healing and uh you know i always kind of prided myself on my Bolshitsky meter and uh you know, Guy for me has always been a straight shooter. He's always been the real deal. He's never really gotten caught up in the fashion of the decade or the fashion of the year. He's been very rooted in truth and in the perennial philosophy. And I'm really excited to share with you my friend and colleague, Guy Finley. So, Guy, welcome to the conversation.
0: Thank you, David. I'm glad to be able to speak with you.
1: We're going to keep this conversation down to 60 minutes today because of some constraints that Guy is having right now with his vocal cords under doctor's orders. So we'll get right into it. You know, one of the things that strikes me, Guy, uh, and something I think we have in common, is that in our younger years, we grew up in the glamor of Hollywood uh, and everything that goes along with that. And there's so many trappings there. And one of the things I've always admired about you is that, you know, you were born into that world of, uh, of that kind of intense emotional energy, that glamor, the, uh, the success, you know, quote unquote. And, um, was it easy for you always to uh, not get hooked into all of that, or um, was that one of your challenges?
0: Oh, <clears throat> I think that there isn't any question you can ask like that that doesn't have yes and no in it. The, the, the brunt of my experience growing up uh, wasn't so much in being identified with the perks of my father's success. Uh, But I did love the people that I got to meet uh, through his, for instance, you know, with his television shows, uh, I I got to meet individuals uh, that had an impact on my life. Just wonderful, sweet, genius people. and, and I, I was always grateful for that and remain grateful for having known a few of those individuals. On the other hand uh, the world in which the geniuses appear uh, at least for the most part in this world is so dysfunctional <laughs> you know everything so so darn lopsided so that you have these uh, beautiful flowers appearing in the middle of Uh, thorns. And that's the way I think life is on earth, David. I just think that uh, that we're born into a world which, and uh, by the grace of the divine, you know, we were able to discern uh, what's good for us and what's not. And I knew at a very young age that uh, fear and anger and alcoholism and drug addiction and, and all of those things, I knew they were no good. <clears throat> Mind you, it isn't that I didn't, uh, you know, wet my uh, taste buds in everything that came down the pipe, But I can also assure you that there was something in my body and in my heart that protected me. So it, it, I can't take one ounce of credit for anything that happened to
1: me. Not one. Now, did you grow up in a family that had any type of conscious conversations about (laughs) spirituality?
0: No, 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 I was, I was born the, I was born the black sheep. Uh, No, no, look, my father, and just for those listening, um, he, he is the progenitor. He gave birth to late to the television talk shows literally before names you would know steve allen jack parr uh before all the the greats that gave birth to the jay lenos and the johnny carsons my dad was the first he he and then he went on and <clears throat> set industry standards became time, uh, time magazine man of the decade in video i mean he was a great man but he was as as we are all a flawed man you know he, he made millions of dollars and lost millions of dollars. In the span of twelve years, as I was growing up, so one one day there'd be a party uh, at our estate because I was born into an estate, and there'd be four hundred people there. And three months later, my mother would stop me from eating three pieces of bologna because we didn't have food. So I I mean, when I tell you it was mercurial, that's an understatement. (laughs) Uh, And 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 that you know that shapes a person, Uh, one way or the other. That that childish mind struggles to understand the discrepancy, but for whatever reason, I could see the discrepancy wasn't really in the character of the individuals creating the conditions, but rather the the discrepancy was, well, one day I'm secure, one day I'm not. One day I have, one day I don't. One day my father's a winner, the next day he's a loser, in quotes. And through all of that, to make my point, sorry for being long-winded, uh, he, he maintained his integrity he never he never made excuses for himself uh yeah he he was an alcoholic uh, but even that he pulled out of and and my mother same thing down to earth woman not as not a in quote spiritual bone in her body in fact uh she grew up mad at god for taking her father in an accident but Nevertheless, they both had a sweet soul and a good heart. And I think that uh, I was fortunate, even though, like I say, the conditions might have been uh, challenging in one respect, but uh, they shaped whatever it is that I uh, went on to do and to become.
1: Were you encouraged to think for yourself?
0: Yeah, I, I would say so. As a matter of fact, bless their souls They're, that neither one of them are here now uh, When I, I started my interior journey at a really young age and uh, by the time I, I had uh, reached what 13 or 14 years old <clears throat> I had been to uh, through temple school I was going to be bar mitzvah uh, but at the end realized that just didn't fit for me. And I begged out of it, you know, broke some relatives hearts. Then I, I went to a Catholic school <laughs> and that didn't work. And then I went to uh, studied. Uh, I became, I was confirmed a Presbyterian <laughs> and that didn't work. And then I, it became interested in Buddhism and a certain sector of it. And that didn't work. And this was all before I was 14 years old. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, for whatever reason, it, my search ran me through these various uh, uh, shoots of um, religion and spirituality, and uh, none of it measured up. So I'd given up on conventional paths by the time I was 14 years old.
1: When did you finally, either in person or through recordings or through books, when did you finally cross paths with a teacher that actually spoke to you and helped you to begin to connect with the, the answers you were looking for?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when, uh, when nothing panned out in the mechanical world, in the conventional religious and at the time spiritual world, probably not due to the fact that there wasn't some viable path, because looking back I can see there were some teachers living then that I would have uh, liked to have met. Uh, but at at a certain point there came uh, uh, an interest in occult sciences. And I ran through those for about three or four years. And then when I was, I think, 17 or 18 years old, that had become fascinating because of certain phenomena that had occurred. But I could see that there was no viable way to understand what I was looking for. And it was right then, as, as these things happened, that I, i met uh, a wonderful man he uh, at the time was one of the oldest living disciples of yogananda paramahansa yogananda and uh and it was the it was the first time i was visiting with him uh in private and he left me in his living room and uh being the nosy person that i am <laughs> god help me uh, I, I was wandering around the library and pulling things off of the shelves to see what was there. And I, 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 I opened, I pulled the book down, I opened it up, and I read a single paragraph about a man having a full-blown moment of cosmic consciousness. His kundalini had awakened spontaneously. And I, I read that paragraph, and this is the God's honest truth. I started uh, sweating I felt sick to my stomach I got faint I dropped to a knee and in that moment I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt I had found what it was that I'd been looking for all of my life and that was that awakening that that full-blown realization of oneself and the disappearance of oneself at the same time which is really the same thing and that that started it for me and I worked steadily with Mr. Raymer, for five, six years uh, underneath his guidance. Uh, And then then it, it just went on from there.
1: You know, one of the things I've always admired about you and resonated with you is even though you have, you know, a high level of mastery in the area of metaphysics and in the abilities to and the cities that go along with that. My sense is is that you either never did or if you did it was very minor, that you never got caught up in that. That, you know, my sense of you and your teaching and your path, even though you are wonderful with language and you have a gift for speaking and for putting thoughts together, is that that's not really what it is about for you. My sense is, is that you're an extremely heart-centered individual and that, um, that somehow you've been able to maintain that uh, true priority in the midst of uh, very powerful metaphysics and very powerful mm-hmm. phenomena. And I, it's something I've really admired about you. And it's one of the reasons I feel comfortable recommending you as a teacher or recommending your books, because um, I've always felt that that your path is primarily uh, a, a revelation of the intelligence of the heart.
0: Yeah, that's probably accurate, David. Uh, and again, I, I I wish that I was able to take credit for anything of the any accolade thrown my way, but I've just been, I've been uh, graced. I've been lucky, you know, uh, uh, earlier on to the point that you made about not getting caught up in these, in these uh, uh, clearly more mystical uh, uh, side paths that occur naturally in one's journey along, at a certain point, I had gone over, uh, I, 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 became a, a songwriter and a performer. My partner and I, we were the first white soft rock artists ever to sign with Motown records in 1971. And, uh, I loved music because it allowed me to, uh, write and create music that was always a form of love song, uh, it, it gave me an instrument at that time uh, to express myself. But at a certain point, even though I had become know, re- I suppose relatively successful in the music business, writing for TV and motion pictures and artists, it just didn't do it. And I, I quit and I went and I started traveling and I went to the far East. I went to India. I spent time there. And w- w- one time I was going to see what I thought was a a full-blown awakened individual uh, whose name will I will not mention because he was a fallen angel. Um, I was getting ready to go in his ashram, and the, the, this is God's honest truth. Just as I'm starting to walk in through guarded doors, uh, 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 a sadhu. A guy in a sackcloth and ashes with a verbooty spot in the center of his forehead reached over and out of nowhere, scared the heck out of me, grabbed my arm and started walking me down the street away from the ashram. And he had a flute under one arm. I can still see him. Uh, And he turned and he said to me in perfect English, David. (laughs) He said, honey on the tongue, poison in the heart. I mean in perfect english wow, and then and then he, he 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 talked to me, he was totally versed in in uh in certain traditions that I didn't know much about at the time uh, in the work that the had done and and uh so I spent my time with him for a couple of weeks <laughs> so he took me to some places and we talked and and uh I got to see something I never would have seen otherwise. And, and I'm sorry for this long story. But then he said to me, he said, along the way, he said, there will be many, many uh, moments where you'll come along the path and you'll see these beautiful flowers. And he was speaking in metaphors, again, in perfect English, this old sadhu. And, uh, and he said to me, but he said, you may stop and smell them, but you must never stay there and never pick
1: them. <laughs> i think that says it all well that's, that's great
0: i mean how lucky can a man be because i didn't i mean i already had you know a lot of experiences that were phenomenal and i wasn't terribly attached to them but there was a a kind of abiding uh identity connected to the phenomena that had occurred my you know throughout my life but that <clears throat> that moment and the time i spent with him kind of uh, cured me of that because I realized exactly what he was saying. It's very right. appealing. And in some ways, faith building. I think I should add that so we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater.
1: Right. No, you, no. You know, I, I get it.
0: You have these inner, uh, inner unfoldings, these experiences that are beyond the shadow of a doubt, uh, far and away above the world of imagination. And they do change you. But the, the, the trap is identifying. with that, That's really probably the big trap uh, in this life, not to mention for an aspirant. Right. And, and, then you, and then you learn some of that lesson and you go on. And if you do happen to find a flower in your hand, uh, you're given the commensurate experiences to show you that anything you've picked will wilt and already has the moment you've picked it. So you you learn to set these things down, at least as best you're able to see the need to do it.
1: Now, in terms of uh, physical plane realities, um, did you decide to be a householder or did you decide to take more of an aesthetic kind of a path?
0: Well, that was also kind of chosen for me. I spent... uh, I think from maybe the age of 18 to about 24, 25, maybe how many years, is that? six or seven years. I spent about six or seven years in a, uh, a tiny little home tucked into uh, Benedict Canyon in Southern California, literally tucked into a mountainside. Uh, I spent six or seven years doing probably six to nine hours a day of yoga and breathing exercises meditating. Mm. So I had a really intense period of sadhana, Uh, you know, fully celibate life, fully, I mean, just the real, you know, it it wouldn't, it couldn't have been any different if I'd gone to uh, a monastery someplace. Uh, I just, I just had to do it. I just had to do it. I lost all my friends. Uh, I had a piano. uh, And that was my You know, that was sort of the way I got uh, to, you know, do some creative work. But I I was, but it was so, gosh, David, it was so fascinating. (laughs) It was, (laughs) there was so many, there was so much going on. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I just couldn't not do it.
1: So you were doing a classical type of Kriya Yoga at the time?
0: Actually, yes, I was.
1: Okay. So this was very much a withdrawal um, from, uh, from a typical human life. Oh, yeah.
0: uh, I mean, I'm still living in, in, relatively still living in Beverly Hills. My best friends are the sons of, you know, are the, you know, Dean, Dino Martin, Desi Arnaz Jr., uh, Frank Jr., Eliza. These are the, you know, I'm, but I don't, I don't see them much, you know, maybe once or twice a week. When I'm asked, do you want to go do this or do you want to go do that? And I just didn't have any interest in it.
1: Right. Didn't have
0: any interest in it. So, so after, I was, I, you know, I, they, I think they thought I was stuck up or something like that.
1: Right. So after you went through that six, seven year period of that intense purification of the body and the nadis and the chakras and and, and the subtle senses opened up, did that kind of run its course and then you felt comfortable coming back down off the mountain or or what happened next? No, again, it was never, there was never
0: a moment where I thought to myself, okay, now I'm going to do this. It just never was like that. Um, Somewhere, I don't know, and I'm sorry that I don't remember things like years or, you know, my certain specific points. My history seems to have been obliterated. Um, I think I was about 20. 24 years old uh and i, I was uh, what was happening then i was i was performing someplace i i was you know i, I had my career i still had music okay and uh and i'm and i met a uh, sounds funny <laughs> i met a woman <laughs> and uh over time we became good friends and then uh uh became more than that and that's what moved me out of the little cave uh cuz she didn't want to stay there and so uh we moved and uh and uh, i had a, acquired enough success in the world somehow uh and we we wound up uh, in malibu uh where, Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then that was the next phase until uh, 29 years old. And then everything, I, I gave up everything. Or maybe it gave me up. Everything, everything went away. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do what I was doing anymore in the music business. You know, I started, I loved writing music. I loved writing music. Uh, but then suddenly I become a successful songwriter. And now I have to write music in order to support the things that I got that I thought would free me. But <laughs> they didn't free me. They enslaved me to oh, wow. a, a machine that stole the love out of everything. And, it, it, and, you know, at some point you look at this, well, this is untenable. This, this is not the path. Really, if he, my journey has been all just nothing but that. Okay, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Well, that's not going to, nope, that doesn't work. Nope. And then doing whatever was not that. And at that point, it was travel. I thought maybe I could go and somebody would slap me on the forehead with a peacock feather or I'd kiss somebody's foot and, and uh, boom, there'd be the, a full-blown release uh, and everything would make sense. But uh not, nothing like that happened. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't meet a few beautiful souls, but I came home realizing that if anything was going to happen to fulfill the the need that I had, it wasn't going to be through what someone else did to me. and uh, And as then as the story goes, I was home for about six months and I had been working with some Indian men, East Indian men, some teachers, helping them get established here and uh I realized that that wasn't the path for me again and The very night that i told Bob told this one teacher that i I couldn't help him anymore that i I had to go out and not do that, uh, a man came up to me out of the clear blue sky and told me that i should if that if I wanted to meet a powerful man. I should go hear Vernon Howard, who was going to be somewhere in the valley. Uh, and I should go, meet, you know, hear him because this guy's got power. And of course, the fellow that was talking to me was a thief, a spiritual thief. Those who want to steal the energy from those who've acquired it. And that was to him the path, finding people that he could siphon energy from. Uh, I didn't know any better. Uh, I went home to Malibu. I woke up that morning, God's truth, uh, told my fiance, look, I got to go where I'm not sure somewhere in North Hollywood. I got in my car. I drove there and I drove up and down, uh, river. I can't think. I drove up and down this street, David, looking for a place that had a lot of cars in front of it. And I, I found this church. I went in the second half of Mr. Howard speaking, uh, Went up to see him after the talk, thinking to myself that he would be impressed just looking at me. (laughs) He looked me right in the eye and he said, I know all about you. Just like that. And then I spent the next 14 years with him as close as I could possibly get until he died.
1: Was he a mystic?
0: Yeah. He was the real deal, David. I mean, the real deal a genuine, full-blown, I've used the terms Christian mystic, but he was, he was, he had encompassed the paths. He understood. Right. He was a, he was a, he was a real man. And uh, again, by grace, I, I became close with him, uh, led, uh, if you will, uh, his work, he, his work was in, in uh, the Nevada area. Uh, I stayed in California and we opened a center in Ohio where I taught for years until Mr. Howard died. And he gave me instructions. Uh, you know, he said certain things to me prior to his death, uh, that I was not to, to be part of a continuation of his work, but that I was to carry on my own. Uh, I obeyed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, 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 I parted from California, gladly, leaving word with no one, basically where I was going, because I didn't want to split up the work that he had done, because there were those who would have blindly followed me for whatever reasons. I came up to Southern Oregon, where I now live. And uh, I did nothing for a year, save go through some very challenging things. Uh, And then I started writing again, and I started talking. And uh, that's the history of it.
1: Are there any um, significant distinctions between his teachings and yours? No. Okay.
0: No, you know, the teaching is the teaching. You know, you can can go into a beautiful botanical garden and walk through the section designated roses, uh, and some will uh, petal differently, some will open sooner, some will drop their leaves later, uh, uh, all will have different fragrances. Uh, The same rose never blooms twice, but a rose is a rose. And uh, the truth uh, expressed on this planet is the expression of a certain order of consciousness, a level of being within all of us that is uh, hoping to flower through the individual essence of men and women, such as ourselves, uh, that we can catch a, a faint hint of that fragrance of the possibility of being another order of man or woman, completely different than who and what we'd been, not just in the grand scheme of things, but hopefully moment to moment.
1: Absolutely. So um, I think I want to shift gears a little bit because we're at about the halfway point And I think we've done a pretty good job of giving the listener a sense of you and a sense of your journey. And so I'd like to shift gears for the second half and focus more on asking you questions that relate to, Kind of the challenges in today's world, and sure. kind yeah. of get get your take on things. Sure. So, um, I think I'm probably about ten years younger than you. I'm 59. How old are you? Yeah, uh,
0: it's about right. I'm okay. 67.
1: Okay, eight year difference. So, I've been I've been functioning as a healer and a teacher since I was pretty young. So I would say about 40 years. And what I'm noticing today. Is that, and I have my own theories about this, but I'm noticing that the general level of stress of people's nervous systems and energy field today is much, much higher than it was even 20 years ago, and certainly much higher than it was 30 or 40 years ago. And that, uh, because of that, it's there's more static on the line for the students and for the patients. And that before any real deep work can be done, there is a lot of preparatory work that needs to be done to help people just at these fundamental levels to get their nervous system and their etheric bodies a little more balanced so that we can go a little bit deeper. And I'm wondering if you've noticed that, or if being up in Oregon, it's not so noticeable. <laughs> and if so, if you've developed um, practices and approaches that address the current day stress level of the of the student, that on one hand is sincere in their interest, but in terms of their readiness at that physical neurological etheric hormonal level they really need some extra support because of the incredibly unique constellation of uh worldly challenges we're facing today
0: of course you know david that you've asked a single question that we could talk for three years on uh but the simple answer is yes i think you're right I think the level of tension uh, has increased significantly. I think it's a result of a certain desperation on one hand, in terms of a psychological breakdown uh, in the general consciousness of the human being. I also think the tension is the advent of certain exterior in quotes, forces, the, uh, the increase in light, which science confirms, that the photonic energy, meaning this, that we're in a time where the earth is receiving more energy from uh, outside, in quotes, than ever before, and that accelerated energy is acting on our bodies, and there's a discrepancy Because the accelerated energy should, in fact, uh, be allowing for a greater uh, reciprocity, um, exchange uh, within ourselves. A a faster turnover, if you will, where the lessons uh, are more evident, meaning the revelations of the moment uh, should be more evident. And the integration that should follow should be more instantaneous. Time should be collapsing Instead it's expanding, uh, meaning the, the distance between the moment that I don't want and the lear- lesson I've learned from it, that, that should be collapsing and it's not. So there's a, these opposites. And this as this tension increases, uh, you see the violence. You see the fanaticism. you see all of the uh, corruption and the breakdown as human beings attempt, To reconcile this discrepancy uh, with things that are known, with what they hope in, things that are seen, you know. Uh, But by the same token, David, uh, and if I might, can I tell a quick little story?
1: Well, just be mindful of our time constraints.
0: Well, you know what, let's go, let's, we can, unless you have a problem with it, we can stretch this out 15 more minutes, David.
1: I won't tell your doctor. Yeah, and you know I won't.
0: <laughs> just to make the point, here's a man, and uh, he's frustrated. He's anxious, uh, and he's sitting at home, and And when things get bad, he likes to eat a pizza and blast the music uh, out of his stereo. And one night, he's sitting there having done that over and over again. And one night, he's sitting there, and, and finally, he just thinks to himself, God, I can't take it. I can't take it. And he kind of rolls over on his chair and hits the off button on his remote device. And suddenly it goes dead silent in the room. And in that instant, he realizes that's what he wanted. There was nothing left to push against. So I think as these conditions in the world exacerbate themselves, I think that it creates opportunities for shocks and that at some point when tension reaches a pitch and the available things to reconcile that tension prove themselves to be inadequate or worse, that in that moment, certain individuals can through that shock come into contact with the part of themselves that was really, uh, all the time, um, producing the condition so that they could transcend that level of themselves. So I see it as a twofold path. I see things getting darker and I see as a result of that tension of that, of that stress between those opposites, I see opportunities appearing for individuals to lay down, uh, what they've been identified with and begin another path.
1: Absolutely. It reminds me of the, the line where Jesus says, uh, I come not as the peacemaker, I come as the sword. Yes, absolutely. It, it definitely, um, you know, I, I totally get what you're saying. And uh, I'm glad you shared that. And the, the other part of my question was, in terms of responding to that existential reality, have you had to alter or expand your way of teaching so that um people uh like have you had to have you had to to uh expand your teaching to include uh topics and practices that that at other times weren't necessary to get the job done
0: it's a it's a uh a, a bifold question first uh I can't. I can't. I mean, I understand that people say, all right, well, you know, guy, you've been uh, teaching and talking for 40 years. You've got the yada, yada, yada. I, I, I never considered myself a teacher, David. I really <laughs> have never considered myself a teacher. I, 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 I'm, I'm a man who is, for whatever reason, in the pursuit of a love that he understands is sown into his own heart. I'm looking for a marriage. I'm looking for the for a union. Not that I haven't found a union, but it's a moment-to-moment thing. We we want to pare away the parts of ourselves that mechanically uh, appear to produce the illusion that somehow I've got to go do something and be something in order to be a whole, content, decent human being. So on one side there is this this growing need. The need that grows in me cannot be separated from the need that is growing in the consciousness of humanity. Absolutely. We are one thing. So as the need grows, it leads to revelation. As revelation takes place, meaning the sudden realization of the whole of one's character, good and bad, light and dark, up and down, can a person stay there in the moment of that revelation? So the integration can take place that awareness has come to produce. So if there's one thing that my work has been more centered on, it is the idea of an individual being able to cultivate attention, to be able to, instead of mechanically be reduced to A human in a a state of reacting to what they've been shown about themselves, about the world, and then thrown back into the world of imagination where I call upon the past, meaning what I know, to straighten out what I'm going through here so I have a better future. To see the futility of taking thought in the moment of a revelation, regardless its nature, is the beginning of the fulfillment of the purpose for the revelation. Because the revelation comes complete, it, the light that reveals what I don't know about myself, does so that what I am yet to understand can be integrated into the whole of myself, which is the same as human consciousness. So now uh, the the work is in, inherently, uh, you can see the dichotomy. I mean, everybody with these with their iPhones and their their iPads and the selfies and the texting and the incessant activity where one's attention, even in sound bites on news and TV, everything, boom, 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 So that nobody has the capacity to, to stay their attention long enough that the revelation can produce the fruit for which it's come. So if there's one thing that has come as a result of me being taken through this process, It is the the understanding of the need to further develop one's attention so one doesn't remain a mechanical man or woman dragged from pillar to post by every reaction.
1: And I would completely concur with that. And I think you mentioned, you know, one factor involved with that, which is the bombardment of pretty vacuous Uh, not personally meaningful information coming from multiple (laughs) sources. You're being very kind, David. (laughs) But what I see is I see that that's just one of many, many forces at play here. Like, for example, as a holistic doctor and looking at it through that lens, I see, for example, the tremendous um, uh, rape of our topsoil of the planet and the uh, and the the uh, the complete uh, adulteration of our food supply, yep. and the tremendous increase in prescription and recreational drugs and vaccinations, yep. all of these things are all irritants to the nervous system when they go on for a long period of time. Oh yeah. And so I've had to, in order for me to function the way I want to function. As a guide for people, I've had to, over time, address more and more of these factors in order to create some space and an opening for that kind of full body, full hearted attention that allows for transmission. Now, part of that could be because I'm here in the Silicon Valley. It might be not so; those, those those factors may not be so vital to address for someone who has uh, a, a more rural kind of environment that isn't so um, overstimulating that way. But uh, that's where that's kind of the the passion that's driving my question to you is because of what what I have seen so profoundly from my own little corner of the world. Yeah, uh,
0: David, you're, of course you're right. Of course you're right. Um, and I don't think that because one, uh, retires, meaning moves to a more rural setting, such as I now live in here in Merlin, Oregon, uh, the, 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 the energetic field is encompassing, uh, I don't think there's any place on the world in the world. literally I even remember reading something about this that noise pollution has reached places there was never noise before. Uh, so we are living in a world that like you say, it has become a uh, a frenetic bound uh, and corrupted uh, system. Uh, we, for instance here on the, we have 15 acres where the, my foundation is, and we've got over 30,000 square feet of organic orchards and gardening. Uh, we raise our own chickens. Uh, we, we, we are interested in uh, being self-sufficient. But, and sorry, the point being here that, you know, um, I'm looking out my front window and I see within 30 feet of me, a couple of deer, friends of mine that have come further morning cob. The, the nature of a creature uh, is attracted to uh, the places where its nature is fulfilled. And what you're doing, what I'm doing, is trying to help individuals realize <clears throat> that the nature we've adopted with its blind mechanical appetites and its habits is not our true nature. And that while we each and every one of us have a specific role a responsibility, and perhaps it means that I live uh, in a suburb, or a city, or a metropolitan area, or I live in the country, that notwithstanding, if I am in contact with what reveals to me my nature, then the intelligence behind that revelation has a plan for that nature, and it will take it through what that nature has to go through, including one day finding someplace else to live, eating different kind of foods, associating with different kinds of people, because as one's nature changes, so does the country in quotes in which they live change.
1: Absolutely. It's just very challenging here because people are so locked. People are so locked in, you know, like, uh, you know, most of the houses, for example, here in the Silicon Valley, uh, I would say a typical house that in most parts of the country would cost maybe two hundred and fifty three hundred thousand dollars over here is over a million dollars, so people are really you know people are really locked in here to some pretty heavy duty cycles that they're involved yeah, in and it's it it's it's challenging and then another thing that's really challenging that I find is what I call the Church of science yeah. You know, this area here prides itself on being intelligent and scientific and rational. And, you know, I wrote about this today, in fact, is I think it's really important to make a distinction between science as a method of approaching reality through creating a hypothesis and then testing the workability of it, which I think is fantastic, as opposed to science as a cult, as a belief system. And I really see a lot of people here. One of the blockages to opening up spiritually is they're so afraid at an ego level. They're so afraid of appearing unscientific. It's like there's this cult of science (sighs) that is being used by ego to keep people from an authentic, inner explanation inner exploration that's outside the uh the party line that uh, i don't know if you see it but here in the silicon valley i see it it's very it's very obvious to me this cult of rationalism that uh is it's like um uh, i see it almost like an adolescent arrogance
0: well look there's there's so many good points in what you're saying i mean there's the cult of plumbers, you know. <laughs> there's the cult of the Christian. There's the cult of the Hindu. The, the cult of the Jew. Uh, anywhere that you have a closed system, you have corruption. There you uh, go. Period. It, it's it, it's this, it's this it's the law of thermodynamics, you know. But but here's what I uh, let's kind of throw a little dart at the board here. That it, even though we haven't time to explore it fully. You cannot have fear, anxiety, anger. You cannot have any of these negative states that are not preceded by a form of resistance. You examine any negative state and you will see that it appears because something in our nature rises up and resists something that happens, something someone says, something one thinks and produces I don't want that to happen. Resistance precedes negative states. That useless suffering inherent in resistance cannot occur without identification. And in the Silicon Valley, in Beverly Hills, uh, in New Jersey, in Brazil, wherever you are, you will find individuals, because they have never known any other way to have a sense of identity, you will find that they are identified with one thing or another. The key, as far as I'm concerned, is to begin to understand there is a tremendous contradiction in this. Remember I spoke of these shocks? We experience moment to moment what we value, period. We experience what we value, If you could get a man or a woman to have enough attention to realize that when they're experiencing the pain of the past, it's because something in them has dragged them back into the content of that experience. When a person is full of stress over their life, they're full of stress because something in them values the image they have of themselves more than the instinctive understanding that I shouldn't be killing myself to appear like I own something. So this massive contradiction where we validate our negative experiences by blaming things instead of understanding it is our nature that is victimizing us because we are asleep to its activity where first it identifies with something, it derives a strong sense of self from it, And now it must protect what it has identified with. So therefore, it makes sense to kill myself, to have a million-dollar home. It makes sense to be in destructive relationships because they're responsible for my pain. On and on it goes until, God willing, a revelation takes place that cannot be pushed away. And at that point, change becomes possible because now I understand the conflict is in my own consciousness.
1: I mean, absolutely. I mean, what you've just said in the last three or four minutes is the essence of the spiritual path. It's just that it's just that for many people to get to the place of being able to grok what you just said is quite a journey. Yeah. (laughs) You think? (laughs) I I know. But but that's the good. See that?
0: That's the good thing. Look, we we are David, you and I, and any man or woman out there, whether they they, no matter what they do, if they have a love of truth. They didn't put the love of truth in themselves. A person has a genuine, sincere aspiration to know something of the divine, to know something of immortality. They didn't put that in themselves. It was sown into them before there was a named by that which they go, and that same nature that sows into us this aspiration to be a decent, kind human being, this love of truth in spite of what it may cost us for what it reveals, that whatever so, so, uh, put that into us, it, it has a plan. It goes before us to make the crooked places straight if we will keep our eyes open Stop lying, stop listening to the lie that appears to cover up the revelation, and let this thing unfold. There is great hope in one respect, because this kindness, this love, this intelligence, for those who know it's true, is in fact the very foundation of one's existence. Can we move from a false foundation to a true foundation? by recognizing that a true foundation doesn't shake. A true foundation shows what shakes. And when we see things shaking, can we walk away from that shakiness, not towards something that promises to be solid, but away from the nature that has brought us to that point where, once again, our world is a sandcastle looking at a wave coming. Who wants to live like that?
1: Well again, you know, I just would reiterate what I said. You know, what you're saying again is really the essence of the path. It's just the the the, the challenge is is that for most people what is false occurs to them as real. Right. And until you see that not much can happen.
0: <clears throat> but see, I think David that we I think a lot a lot of people see Uh, that when they suddenly find themselves betrayed by their best plan, the relationship, the business, the career that they thought would liberate them turns out to be something they wind up serving. You know, at that point, how do you, how do, there's a, what's the, an elephant in the room, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and and one day you, you realize, well, that elephant keeps appearing and I'm not at the
1: zoo. Right, but so many people, when it's not working for them, they kind of default to more better, different, like, oh, I just need to do it differently yeah, I yeah, just yeah.
0: Need but that, to do but it, it is- better
1: I just need to do it more, I just need to be do you know that that can go on for a while forever well, a long time yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. i mean but but again, <clears throat> how shall I say. When, 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 when we can know something that is good with a capital G, and not as a passing insight or a a, a, a hope for uh, something positive, we realize that 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 thing that is good—the God, the Divine, Christ, Buddha—call it what you will—that's always been here. It always will be here. Yeah, and. And, and it is working itself out. We are, each and every one of us, whether we understand it or not. You know, people ask me all the time, well, how can you say there's just this good when you see so much darkness in the world? You know, so much evil being done, such uh, violence and all the rest of that. And and uh, the, the, the short answer is that because... If one had eyes that could see the long body, this bigger picture, you'd realize that nothing bad happens, that something good isn't born out of it. Look at Victor Frankl. Look at, look at the, the conditions in life that should have produced monsters out of men and women, but instead produced saints. So how can the darkness that creates corruption in one person create beauty and grace in another? It's all part of a, a great movement. And we, each and every one of us, have a certain, what I call, you know, the world talks about free will. Here's our free will we are free to choose what we serve. And if at last we get tired of serving something that doesn't serve us, if at last we get weary of being used by something that is seeking our destruction while promising us pleasure, then we start walking away from what we've been serving not because we know what to serve but because what is good has shown us our service to ourselves in that direction is in fact selfish
1: useless painful destructive so absolutely we... that's that's what i call with my students i call that the oh my god moment sure when they realize they've had their ladder up against the wrong wall
0: yeah yes david yeah. Perfect. That's perfect. But they, did they didn't show themselves? It was up against the wrong wall, did they?
1: No, I mean that's the that's the magic, that's the mystery. You know, yes. there's something that happens in a true teacher-student relationship that illuminates all of this. Yes. yes. And it's just that the conditions that are required for the true student-teacher relationship. I guess one way of encapsulating what I've been getting at for the last 25 minutes is that the conditions necessary for that student-teacher relationship to come into its full power and glory um, are not easily met in, given the, uh, the drift of today's world.
0: Well, of course, I mean, uh, it, it would seem that conditions conspire against uh, such a union, not just between uh, a teacher and a student, between a man and a woman. Yes, you know, between a father and a son, uh, there is a this increasing static, as you call it, and yet, and I defer again to this idea that I didn't, I didn't make myself, I didn't create. Uh, what I give. I've been given and I give. And somewhere out there, there are people who are tired of being given what they've been given and are looking for something else to take in. And well, that's it. Just-
1: yeah, I was going to say that's a great segue into inviting you to talk about your latest book or anything else that you're most excited about these days, kind of at the level of, of- of worldly projects. Is there anything we've got about uh, 15 minutes left, if you can go the full hour and a quarter. And so I want to give you time to talk about the new book and introduce it and share a little bit about it and anything else that you'd like to share in terms of taking the conversation uh, as we begin toward uh, wrapping it up over the next 15 minutes. Uh, Let me just turn it over to you and I'll just try to, Follow your lead here into the close. Well,
0: well thank you. That's very generous, David. Look, um, I, I don't know. If the listeners, if you're interested in what we're talking about, uh, obviously, I have a, uh, a website. It's GuyFinley.org, G-U-Y-F-I-N-L-E-Y, GuyFinley.org. And if you go to my website, you can spend uh, conservatively uh, a year or two just going through the free materials there. The resources. Uh, we have a free starter kit where a person can receive a, a weekly key lesson and some downloads of some important material to consider along the lines of what David and I have been discussing. So I invite you to go to guyfinley.org. Uh, my new book, which is, uh, just out about six months. It's called the secret of your immortal self. And, uh, it's a book of about 80 or 90 short essays with specific key lessons following each of the essays to kind of uh, allow the heart to focus on a particular meditation, a particular idea. And the book has a, uh, a general theory, to, a, a general uh, direction to it. Yeah, and, and it opens with a passage that I, I took from my late, uh, friend and teacher, Mr. Howard, he said one day to a group of us, he said, uh, he was disciplining us in a way, he said, it is wise to seek immortality because time defeats all other ambitions. <laughs> and, I, you know, when you hear something like that, you know, it, 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 it's maybe that, this, that little seed inside of someone who has seen the, fut- the futility, the senselessness of trying to build a world for oneself in a world that has no foundation uh, other than passing time provides, you, you go, oh God, that's, wow, that's, that's right. That, that, that this book is uh, dedicated to helping the reader remember the truth of himself or herself. What else can we do? Other than bring an individual into a moment where a certain bit of light, you know, what is a true piece of truth? You know, that, 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 that pithy, powerful sentence that one reads, you know, you pick up a book of Rumi you, and, and you read one, one short sentence and you go, oh, my God, that hits me in a place I can't even describe. What is that sentence? If not a form of congealed light, a bit of awareness brought down from a, a world that is unconditioned into a set of conditions intended to convey a specific idea the soul is meant to receive. And bang, there's that idea. And the egg cracks, maybe not all the way open, but just enough that one recognizes What that little bit of light, gosh, I'm hungry for that that food, that nourishment from the world above and within myself that others who have gone before me are able to supply. So my new book is intended to be that. Food. Reminders. Nourishment. And uh, if you're interested in the book, you go to guyfinley.org immortal. Guyfinley.org immortal. You'll get it there for as cheap as you can buy it anywhere else online. And my foundation gives away a, 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 a free audio uh, album with it. So that's slash immortal.
1: We'll be sure to put that in the show notes.
0: Oh, that'd be great, David. Uh, and then in a broader scope, if you're interested, go to onejourney.net. www.onejourney, one word, O N E J U R N E net. My foundation has sponsored over the years a global outreach program. It was based on a book that I wrote called The Secret, The Search, The Sacred. And you can watch this award-winning video that we produced that proves just everything David and I have been talking about. There is but one seeker, there is but one search, and there is but one sacred. And this website, the book that spawned its birth, helps the reader understand that to start seeing and remembering that within each and every one of us lives this this great dissatisfaction. I call it the, the divine dissatisfaction, and thank God for it, because that's what produces the seeker. And the seeker goes out on a search that he or she couldn't create for themselves, but that is born out of the negation of everything the world says will bring us this peace we're looking for. And as it turns out, the search and the seeker are all motivated, directed by the sacred that sets them out on the journey. And that's what one finds as they begin to realize the purpose of the seeking and the searching, that there has always been the sacred within them, just wanting to know itself through them. I think that's all I have to say about that, David.
1: I'm just going to be quiet for a minute and just let that sink in for all of us. That was so beautiful Guy. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud of about this podcast series is that um, my intention is not just to talk about things, but to actually give the listeners a taste of the real deal. And um, here we are. So... Isn't that nice? This is so beautiful.
0: Yes, and, I agree, David.
1: And... uh I, I'm enjoying the fellowship, and uh, it's it's really great when uh, when we can come together in um, in that love of truth. And you know, you talked before about not seeing yourself as a teacher, but just uh, to give you my take on it is we're all teachers. It, the, the question is, what are we teaching? And we teach by who we are and the way we live and and what we love and, right. and 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 what i see in you that you're teaching all the time without even thinking about it because you're just being it is you're teaching um, you're teaching this love of truth and the the viability of living that Uh, and honoring that mystical knowing and that communion. And I think people see a a regular human being that's, um, that's being um, inspired and soul infused and um, is, is, is vital and is not abstracting himself from, from life and the senses and, Um, food and human relationships and things. And I think that's what you're teaching. You're demonstrating, you know, uh, I don't have to tell you this, you know, uh, Jesus, when he was asked by his disciples about, you know, what we should do, you know, this is really cool stuff. What should we do? Should we tell people and stuff? You know, his basic message was just live it, demonstrate a better way. And I think that's what you're doing. You're living your life. And you're demonstrating a way where all of that—that th- that there's a possibility of being in such a way that all of the egos and the world's attempts to to leverage control over you—it's the same message Jesus had on the cross: that all of the world's forces and powers—not uh, powers, but forces and attempts to leverage control. Uh, that you can live in such a way where, where there's where it's like it's like punching air, yeah
0: yeah that's so well said yeah that that's it that's exactly yeah. right that's what that's what real freedom is
1: that's right freedom. and uh freedom and you're not gonna you're not gonna find it if you're if you're living the delusion that all there is are these world of internal and external forces you're just gonna be on the wheel forever there, and I think, you know, teachers like you and teachers like myself, we're pointing to this other possibility. That's like uh, that's like the eye of the needle. Very much so, um, and yet, and yet, and yet, as you were implying earlier, there's no fine print in the unity idea. It 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 infuses or it extends. Into all aspects of human experience, and that that duality collapses in that realization of unity. And I think that's you know I think I think that's what brings us together. It's our commitment to to um, to establishing and anchoring that possibility for ourselves, and then uh, and then inviting others into that possibility. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, David. Um, And I did forget to say one thing because I know we're coming to a close and I'll I'll say it by extending the invitation to you Um, up here in southern Oregon, just about 60 miles north of the California border is where my foundation is. And I teach, I talk there um, uh, four times a week to men and women who have uh, moved up here to study and to people who come from all over the world. Um, it's a, there's a $3 donation at the door. And if you don't have the $3, no, you, no one's turned away. And, uh, I, David, I extend an invitation to you. Anytime you get the hankering or in the area, stop by, uh, come to the foundation. We'll, we'll have some time together and, uh, listeners, if you're interested, gosh, you know, I don't know where you live, but come out if you can, uh, visit the foundation, take in some talks and let's, uh, let's do, what it is that we are meant to do, which is continually uh, go through this process of uh, of being uh, of seeing the the initial and essential state of integration uh, that, that'll that would be wonderful.
1: Now if people do want to come up there, um, do you have places on site where people can, spend the night or is it best for them to make arrangements to stay at some local establishment or what? Um, We do not have
0: uh, places for people that we've never met before that we don't know. Uh, But if you go to guyfinley.org, you uh, click on the visit us place, it'll give you all the details for the local hotels and motels and, you know, even places that are, uh, serve good, clean food. Uh, so that would be the, the route and you could get the schedule of the talks there on Saturdays. We have a, we always have a wonderful, uh, work, work period together where, we you know, working in the gardens and doing things like that. And then, uh, a, a wonderful meal, uh, uh, organic foods, uh, and then, a, a discussion. It's a, it's a live time between myself and the, Student body uh, and its video. T- I meant to say. I forgot to say that too. Gosh, David, I have. I have <laughs> maybe it's too much information. If you if you want to know about an online wisdom school that my foundation hosts, guyfinleynow.org, guyfinleynow.org. One word, guyfinleynow.org, uh, and uh, you can learn more about us that way. That's enough of that for me. <laughs>
1: Well, Guy, it's been an honor and a pleasure to uh, to be with you this morning. I know you had to move some things around in the last minute to make it happen, and I really appreciate it. I'm going to fast track this conversation so that it gets published uh, as soon as possible. And uh, keep up the great work, brother. It's great to know you're out there.
0: Thank you, David. I enjoyed uh, our time uh, as well. And uh... One way or the other, you and I will have more conversation.
1: So thank you, Guy. And uh, listeners, um, I don't think I can add much to uh, the perfection of the moment. So we'll just say goodbye to Guy and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Bye now.
0: joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com.